Financial freedom means something different to each of us, and our paths will be different in getting there. However, there are some things within our control to achieve that financial freedom. And in today's show, we're going to dive into those details over how to take control in a fun and manageable way. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control of your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back. We have a really exciting show today where we get in the detail on increasing communication around your finances, teaching your children how to understand and value money, as well as some budgeting. Yeah, I just used exciting and budgeting the same sentence. Trust me, it'll it'll be fun though. Today's guest will make it fun, and we're going to learn about all these things. He's the creator of Marriage, Kids, and Money, the blog and host of the podcast titled the same, Marriage, Kids, and Money. He's been featured all over the web, places like NerdWallet, Business Insider. I know you guys are going to get a ton of great value from this episode. So let's welcome Andy Hill to the show and jump right in. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today and breaking away from 80s karaoke and hanging out with the family. <laughs> Anytime, Ryan. This is a podcasting is up there with 80s karaoke and wrestling with my kids. So I'm in. <laughs> nice. Well, today I want to jump right in and talk about a couple things. One on, you know, how couples can start communicating better around money and also something I haven't really talked much on, carried it a little bit, but talking about how we can get our kids involved uh, with money. Granted, mine is just turning four and I have a two-year-old, so we're working on it. Uh, he's starting to get it and we might share some stories here, but let's start off with the big B word of budgeting. Can you give us a few ways that if we were to budget, it could help us get closer to achieving financial freedom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Budgeting is not a, a sexy word for sure. You hear that and it sounds like restriction or or lack or like, hey, somebody's going to take something away from me. And the way I feel about it, maybe that's just who I am, is what budgeting can do is essentially give you more. It can give you more access. Can It's a, it's the opposite of lack. It gives you the permission to enjoy your life. I like to think of it that way. But if you approach budgeting with you know an open mindset, let's say, let's say, okay, all right, this guy's talking about budgeting. Maybe I'll give it a chance. The thing you can start out with is set yourself up with the objective of why you are actually budgeting. If you just say, well, I should budget because I'm supposed to, it's, it's not going to stick. It's like, uh, it's like when, when I'm supposed to be exercising and I don't have a, mm-hmm. uh, a running race that I've signed up for, I just stop exercising. So if you have an objective, you say, hey, I have a mountain of student debt and I need to get rid of this. That is your, your objective and, and why do you want to get rid of it? Just because you want to feel less stress, right, man? Hey, getting rid of a quarter million dollars or whatever, $100,000 or $50,000 of debt off of your shoulders would be so relieving. And if you just think about that stress oozing off your shoulders, that can be enough of a reason to say, all right, I'll give this thing a try. And just giving yourself that motivation to jump into it is a great starting place for people to consider when budgeting for sure. So let's say that everyone listening is going, okay, Andy, I, I got it. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go with you. I'm going to give you a little bit of faith there. We're going to jump in. Let's try it. Can we give them some actionable tips or some things to kind of 
target to say, hey, look, if we start doing these things, you're going to get closer to financial freedom. Yeah, absolutely. The act of doing it is great, but you also have to allow yourself to take advantage of things that just make the process a little easier. I love what's happening over the past couple of years in fintech. Mm, Fintech and automation is just making this process so simple. When I started budgeting with my wife, you know, at whatever, 2011, we used just a regular Excel spreadsheet. There's nothing wrong with that. Excel spreadsheets work fine for a lot of people, but now there are even systems that automate your Excel spreadsheet or mm-hmm. automate your Google Sheets that essentially will pull the the money out from your I'm sorry pull the information out from your checking account your credit cards and essentially filter it all into your your budget so the cumbersome process of putting together the budget and managing it and putting it all in the right spot is gone now so that can't be an excuse if you like the pen and paper that's fine it's all good but fintech with uh, companies like Tiller, let's say you're into spreadsheets, it automatically imports into that spreadsheet and makes the process easy for you. My wife and I have been huge fans of Mint for, oh God, six, seven years. It has all of our information in there. It just makes the process simple. So one thing to make the process easier is just utilizing FinTech, utilizing automation, and then setting a specific date to do it is mm. very important for me to just like use the running example. Maybe I'm into running this summer, um, but yeah, I make a schedule for running. And if I, if I see that schedule in front of me, I know that I have to do it. The same thing with budgeting. My wife and I pick the first of the month, every month to do our budget party, which we call it's our get together. I cleverly put the word party at the end of budget because budget's not a sexy word in order to convince my wife to do this this thing with yeah, me. And parties are fun. <laughs> parties are fun. Exactly. <laughs> so, we're going to have a party on budgeting. <laughs> exactly. <Yay>. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, pick a specific date so you know that you're going to do it. There's an opportunity to make it fun too. So if you're doing it with a partner, let's say you're married, have some fun with it. If you've got kids, we have, Nicole and I have sat outside on a beautiful day while the kids are riding their bikes outside and we'll crank out the laptops. We have even gone to a restaurant and then um, brought the laptop with us. It's it's hilarious. We're having fun planning our future, but we're also eating some great food, drinking some wine, order a pizza, have some beer. Like it doesn't have to be a stressful, non-fun activity and don't limit it to just money either. You guys can talk about what your plans are for the month, what's coming up in your family, what are the big events that are in the future, what are some opportunities for you to, you know, just speak to your spouse and just sort of level set on where you are in your relationship and just sort of take that moment to, I don't know, just pause. Because if we don't set those dates and those times, that can be detrimental to our, our relationships anyway. So those are some of the things that can really make the process a little smooth and make it more fun. I, I think it's great advice. And so for you guys listening, you've now heard this three times from three experts. Okay. <laughs> so we had El Martinez. We're talking all about the money date. And then we just had Joe on, uh, Joe Salcihai from Stacking Benjamins. And we were just talking about his equivalent of the kind of money. Uh, what did you call it again? The, uh, the, budget, the budget party. party. Okay. Yep. So he had kind of his version. And now we're hearing Andy's version. I think this kind of repetition, having multiple experts, and this was not done on purpose. This is all, (laughs) I wouldn't say on accident, but it shows that it works. Multiple people doing and having different ways of doing it. So it doesn't mean that Andy's way or Elle's way is the right way to do this or my way is the right way to do this. Find your way. But I think it's really great because one, you are talking about finances, you're getting on the same page. And then like how Andy said, you're finding your way through the why. 
So you're being able to talk about different goals and different things. And, and so I actually want to talk a little bit on that, Andy, is when you guys talk not just budgeting in, in mm-hmm. the budget party, I actually really like the budget party. I'm saying in quotes, people can't hear me, but I actually really like the concept budget party. Lots of air quotes happening here, people. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're doing more. What are some of the other things that you guys do talk about that aren't necessarily related to the actual budget? How does this yeah. open up communication for you guys? A lot of the improvements we've had in our relationship over the past eight years have, have stemmed from conversations about our larger goals, our larger I guess what we define is our family values. And this is an opportunity for us to level set and make sure what we're doing each month and moving forward aligns with those values. This can be, hey, our calendar's looking pretty full this month already for things that we've planned already. Can we realign things to make sure we're spending quality time together as a family? Have we committed to some weddings or birthday parties or baby showers or la la la, like all these things that sort of fill up the calendar that don't let us have family time. And can we readjust that? If we can't, that's fine. But let's think about that by the time we get to next month. So we're not filling up our calendar and not having time together. We also take the time to just reassess what our family dreams are, what our financial goals are as we look ahead. Do we want to go on a trip next year? And where do we want to go? And how are we going to do it? That's stuff that we can start planning and making plans for, which which gets exciting. You know, you talk about it and you say, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could go to Mexico on an all-inclusive vacation with the family next year and just have a lot of fun? How can we get there? How can we make that happen? And that's those are some of the things that we like to talk about. And then outside of the finances, this is a great opportunity for us to just level set with regard to our our kids' plans. We talk about how many sports we want to get our kids signed up for, mm-hmm. how, how little sports we want to get our kids signed up for. You know, I'm always the one that wants to sign my two-year-old up for soccer or swimming when it's like, all right, this is definitely not going to stick in his brain in his brain long term. <laughs> but it's just that's where I like to overspend on uh, on some of the kids' activities. And my wife is the is the spender on other types of things in our lives, like uh, you know, home decor and shopping and things mm-hmm. like that. We, we we laugh about it together. But this is an opportunity for us to level set and make sure that we are working together and choosing the right activities and plans that uh, move our relationship forward and our family forward. So it's a great opportunity for us to just level set as a couple. I love it. So we've talked about choosing your weapon, right? Going through some of this fintech uh, software, right? And you mentioned Tiller, we mentioned Mint. Uh, There's some other ones like Personal Capital that are good. Be prepared that if you load in like 100K worth of assets, they're going to call you. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of these things, that's how they make their money. But a lot of this is free, but you got some strings attached and, th- and that's okay. I used to use Mint a long time ago before I started using financial planning software. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of meant for advisors and clients, but I love Mint. I think it's yeah. great. And then we're able to, to open up communication with our spouse through this type of budgeting party, making it fun. And then the interesting thing was, is you started talking about how you can, you can do this with kids around everything. Like, let's kind of shift here and talk a little bit about kids and how we can yeah. get them involved in finance. Well, you know, the one thing that we're doing around the house lately over the past uh, maybe year and a half is my daughter, around her fifth birthday, we said, hey, you know, I think maybe she's old enough for her to do a little contribution around the house. So we, we developed a chore and reward system for her. And that's a way we've been able to start teaching her the value of hard work. When you provide hard work, you get a reward. And we want her to know that because that's how the world works. 
if you stand by and hope for reward or hope for wealth, it's not going to be there. You have to work for it. You got to find the ways to make that happen. And we want to instill that early on in her life. And even at five years old, um, she's now six, uh, she's learned a lot. And we've been doing this program with her for about a year and a half. It's become a habit for her. I love it. You know, instead of her coming to dad when she wants something and saying, Hey dad, I need 20 bucks or I need $5 to buy this toy that I want. She now comes to me and says, Hey dad, when can I do my chores so that she can get the money? Right? Yes. Okay. So, so so you mentioned a program and then (laughs) was it brainwashing? Because how do you get a kid to want to do chores? You make it fun. You make it fun. You do it with them. You okay. Know, you, okay. You, you tell, have fun tell. with them. Please, please, please so, go into this. This is going to be yeah, amazing. So every Saturday morning for the past year and a half with my daughter, we get up. And again, now she, now this is habit for her. We get up. She takes a little bit of time to wake up. I make her breakfast. And then after breakfast is over, she knows it's go time. And this is op- actually an opportunity for her to do the chores and help our family, but also to spend quality time with her dad. Mm-hmm. So for the next, call it two hours, we do chores together. It's sort of a side-by-side thing. So while she's putting away the silverware, I'm washing dishes next to her. So it's not like, hey, go do your chores. I'll see in a couple hours. It's, hey, we're going to do this together as father and daughter and have some fun while we're doing it. We say, hey, Alexa, play the what is she into now? The, the tangled soundtrack. So we throw on the music and we sing songs together. Or the Greatest Showman. She loves Greatest Showman right now. So we're listening to all the Greatest Showman songs. She's putting away the silverware. I'm washing the dishes. She's got a slight smile on her face. She's actually having fun while doing it. Every time she completes one of those chores, we've designated that she gets a dollar for it. So she okay. has, now that she's a little older, she completes, what do we do now? She completes four chores Uh, on Saturdays. And some of those chores, they're pretty simple stuff. And it's things that I can help her with if she needs help. So she empties the silverware. She loads the laundry. We have a tiny vacuum and she she vacuums up some of the messes in the kitchen. Hmm. She likes washing windows. She helps me vacuum the car. We'll go outside and wash my car. She mostly just sprays me with the hose. And (laughs) but I get a clean car after a while. (laughs) But anyway, we have all these tiny chores that we do together. It's a great way for us to bond. And then she learns how to actually do good work. And I I inspect her work afterward, you know, quote unquote, okay. to make sure that she did it okay. And she's always looking for me to inspect it, actually, just to make sure that she's completed it all right. And if there's something that didn't happen well, I help her with it. You know, it's it's not a, this isn't a militant, you know, dad forcing her to do things. And then afterward, I pay her right away. I give her, what do we do now, $2 for spending for saving and then $1 for giving. So we have three different jars and we allocate the money accordingly. And after the monetary reward, I give her a big emotional love award by giving her a gigantic hug, looking her in the eyes and just telling her how much I appreciate her helping the family. And I'll be honest with you. I think the the emotional reward, the monetary reward, they're kind of on par right now. She loves getting big hugs from her daddy and giving big praise for for being a contributing member to the family. And it's been great. And yeah, there are mornings where she doesn't want to do the chores. I don't want to make this sound like rainbows yeah. and sunshine all the time. But majority of the days, she looks forward to it. And my most proudest moment is when she now comes up to me and she wants to buy the new Elena of Avalar sword or whatever, anything like these little Disney things. She now comes up to me and says, when can I do my chores as opposed to dad, give me 20 bucks. I love it. I love it. So so many great things in there. One, super jealous that you're out of like the, we're in this like Moana frozen stage. 
Oh, so yeah. you have a new choice of music. I'm really jealous. It's, it's <laughs> you'll get there. It's funny how funny how life works. I go oh, listening yeah. to my own music all the time, and then all of a sudden, kids happen, and now I know every Disney song possible. Oh, oh yeah. Well, you know, Greatest Showman's like kind of in the middle. It's like uh, you know, it's good music, and it's a good kids movie too. So. Yeah. Maybe check so, that one out. So I, I love it. <laughs> Not only taste the music, it, it improved as they get older. I guess That's improved right. is a weird word to use. but <laughs> And then you've got this save, spend, give jars. Yeah. And are they actual mm-hmm. jars? Like, do you do, you do yeah. this? Yeah, so we did three mace, just mason jars. My wife, okay. you know, looked up some sort of Pinterest thing and designed them kind of cute in the house. We did do save. We were throwing the money in save for a while, and then it just started to pile up for a while. Mm. And we said, okay, why don't we just open, open her a little ally savings account, and we'll just throw that money in there for big Perfect. things down the road. Because we really didn't have... It was hard for us to define what a big thing is for a five or a six-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all the big things that she really wants are like a Lego set or, um, you know, some a wig from Rapunzel or something like that. And she can save up her spend money to do that. So we're just letting her pile up her money in her LI savings account right now. And I show it to her and I say, hey, here's the app so you can see how much you have. So I start to have conversations with her about what $65 really means and, you know, things like that as it's been growing. So... A lot of those conversations have been great. And then give is one that I've actually been personally trying to improve myself because over the past, whatever, seven, eight years, I've been so focused on growing my wealth and eliminating my debt and paying off our mortgage that I haven't been the best giver. So it's something that her and I are now partnering together on so I can increase my giving. Uh, I did a little analysis uh, maybe three or four months ago where I found out that actually me and my wife, our, our family, we give below the average American. And that became sort of a goal for me to fix that. So I wanted to become at least above average. So okay. over the past three or four months, I've um, realigned our finances to hit that goal and we were able to do that. So now at least when I'm telling my daughter, hey, you should give, you should give some of your money that you worked really hard to. Now I'm not being a hypocrite. So <laughs> I love it. And it's always something that I think even we work on ourselves. Last year, we gave a little bit of money to an organization called uh, Give More Hugs. And it's Mm. ran by a fellow dad that is married to a doctor. Met him through their Chris McGilvery and uh, just love the mission. Um, I encourage you guys all to, to check that out. They're doing great work. And this year, we're trying to figure out who we give to. We do it once annually. And it's it's kind of like we we continue to save and do stuff. But I I want to be better at that as well. I know it's something that uh, is always tough. So I love that you're like teaching your daughter this, but not wanting to be a hypocrite, getting better. And it's it just shows you like we're all not perfect, right? We're yeah. trying to do the best. And there's a lot of things competing for time and energy and money. And, and Absolutely. That, uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity to learn. And if I can learn with her, I think she sees that. And I don't ever want to show her, hey, dad has all the answers. I'm perfect. I know exactly what to do. I want her to see that change, the the vulnerability, the understanding that mom and dad aren't perfect. And, and it's been fun. Mm-hmm. I can't remember where I got this tip from, but it was interesting where it was like, hey, you know how you pay your daughter now? Or you could say, yeah. hey, instead of, and I know she's not at the age yet, and I can't wait till my son and daughter are at this age, but it's, I can pay you $5 now, or you wait a week and I'll give you $6 and mm. teach them interest. And then oh, you can, then I like the that. flip side is then you could say like, well, you know, if you needed a loan now, then you get less later and being able to teach them a concept of interest so that they're, they're not used to this like recurring treadmill of debt. Is she getting the concept of money right now? My son, yeah. we're trying and I've said some stories back in other podcast episodes, but he's good with take all my toys, give me a dollar, then I can go buy more Thomas trains and things. He's super into trains right now. Um, and it. it's like, well, he wanted a... Um, 
Knapford Station. And, and we used OfferUp and found some super cool little deals for him and all this. And he says, okay, let's go buy this train. And then he comes out with all his money and just says, here. So he doesn't, he doesn't know yet, like he doesn't need to give all his money to get one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so he hasn't grasped yet, but at least the concepts are there. I mean, he's only, he's just turning four, but does your daughter get the, um, like, I'm just curious, like where that age is, like where she gets like, Hey, it it only takes $3 and I have five kind of thing. You know, I think it just comes with practice. So she, she went through kindergarten last year. She learned a lot of great math skills and that helped her to kind of at least just understand the difference between a couple and a bunch. And we've also, we've been playing some fun games together. We got to this game called Cash Crunch Jr. Mm. And it's a game that is a lot of fun for, I think they, they say the age is maybe like six through 10 or something like that. And it's essentially a game of, you go around the board, you know, with your characters, but then every time you land somewhere, you have like a debt card that tells you what you would pay. Like, for example, if you landed somewhere and you wanted to buy some gum and okay, what does that cost you? Oh, that cost me a dollar twenty-five. So she literally counts out a dollar twenty-five of these little paper squares. So she's learning counting and how much money costs. And then if you then you land on an income square, okay, I earned three dollars from helping around the house. And then they get you count out the three dollars. So games like that have been really helpful for us. She calls that out one out by name now. She likes to play that with me. Sounds fascinating. Um, yeah, it's a cool game. You should check it out. Cash Crunch Jr. And other things that we do to, to kind of help her to understand, we go shopping with her and she brings her money to the, we have Rite Aid. I don't know if you guys have Rite Aid where you are. It's yep. just like a, you know, pharmacy. So she brings her four or $5 and she wants to buy something out of the, the toy section. We make her go up to the, the counter by herself. You know, I'm, I'm standing next to her, but um, hand over the money, get the change, grab her receipt. So she understands the interaction and what change actually becomes after you pay the taxes and things like that. Slowly, you know, just exposing her to that over the past couple of, you know, maybe a year and a half, I think it's made a big difference. And she she even did her own lemonade stand like a couple weeks hey. ago. So she learned a little bit about entrepreneurship and how it's not easy to get people to buy things from you. Yeah. Hey, that's good though. I mean, it, it's kind of fun. I mean, did daddy buy a bunch of lemonade? Oh yeah, work? I probably bought about $15 worth of lemonade. I came actually, uh, I went and bought a cup and then I came back and I had like a, a mask on, you know, I was just trying to pretend I was somebody else and I yeah. went and bought another cup. So <laughs> it's like, funny. It's like two so. or three people stop as they're driving by and then you get like $15 from the neighbors and that, that, that you know, the $17 is about all, all they'll get. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's super cool. So I'm curious on a couple of things as we, we went through, cause you gave some really big tips here and I, I, I want to go back. So you've got chores that you pay money for. What chores deserve money and what chores don't deserve money? Is she at the age where you're separating them out now? Like, hey, this is how you are going to be a contributing member of this family versus this is what you do and we will reward you or pay you for your hard-earned services? Yeah, we, we sort of separate it between what we call family chores and then money chores. Some of the things that she's doing uh, right now as a six-year-old little girl We ask her to clear the dishes after we eat a meal, and that's very simple for her to do. It's not washing the dishes. It's just essentially taking the plates and forks over to the sink, Mm -hmm. making her bed, getting herself dressed, brushing her own teeth. Like these things are, you know, a a pretty big, they were a pretty big deal for us when we didn't have to dress her anymore. Some of those things we just call family chores. And as she gets older, you know, 10, 12, 18, obviously getting, getting yourself dressed is not really that difficult when you're 18 years old, but maybe that then turns into... They figure out how to do their own laundry or they clean their own bathroom or they clean their room, you know, things like that as they get into the teenage years. But we're sort of 
taking her age and we're able to step it up as we get older. So there's certain mm-hmm. things that she does for the family and then certain things that she does for money. Yeah, I remember uh, we had do our own laundry, fold our laundry. We had a family dog. We've always had a dog, big dog people uh, in my yep. family. So, you know, feed, take care of the dog, obviously clean up after the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a good one that my mom gave away real early. Oh, you know? yeah. Now I get it because uh, <laughs> it's not that much fun. <laughs> You know, take the garbage out to the street. My mom's like, you're 14, like you're 13, I can't remember. Yeah. You're old enough, you're strong enough, you got this uh, kind of thing. So yeah, as they get older, like obviously these things change, but it's just, uh, it's fascinating. Maybe we'll come up with a little list and toss it in the show notes for people, give them some ideas. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm curious though, like, so we, we mentioned um, some of these chores and you mentioned some games. Are there other mm-hmm. ways to kind of get kids more involved in the family money? Uh, maybe not at six and three or my kids are four and two, like, like you know, the budget party isn't really a fun party for them. But uh, <laughs> as kids get older or if people have older kids listening, like how do we get them more involved? Is there other fun ways to do this? Yeah, I would say one thing to do, and it's probably just a way of life for some folks, is just being openly communicative about the realities of what things cost or money in general, speaking openly about that. And I know that that could be different for some people, you know, because a lot of people grow up and say, wow, my parents never really talked about money or, or money was sort of a taboo topic in my house. I at least want my kids to grow up in a home where we openly talk about money, our challenges. Yes, we would love to do that, but that costs this much. How can we get that money? Or this is something we can do because daddy goes to work and we save our money. So if we're able to keep on talking about the the real things that happen every day in our lives and the costs associated with them and how we can or can't do it or what we choose to do and what we choose not to do. That's what I'm hoping will help to create a couple kids in my house that are financially responsible or at least have financial literacy so they understand what what the reality of money is. And some things that we do with Zoe with her toys, sometimes she amasses, uh, you know, some toys because she's got some very generous grandmas and, mm-hmm. you know, she likes to buy things with her money and that's all good. But we l- want to let her know that some of her toys still have value. So I'll work with her to post some stuff on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and we'll sell her Scooby-Doo Lego set that she doesn't want to play with anymore. And she'll automatically get 12 bucks back or something like that. And she'll be like, Wow. And that's sort of an aha. So, so much easier than her. chores, and all of a sudden, exactly. all your stuff's on eBay. <laughs> yes, and you can get your money back. So, just kind of, I guess I would answer your question just involving them in the everyday activities and conversations about money will help mm-hmm. them to be smart little money kids. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, I was really excited to have you on. As I was prepping for this, I even called my own mom and I said, Mom, how did you get us involved? She goes, Well, you know, from day one, you were by my side doing all these business things. My family's a bunch of entrepreneurs. I was actually the first to graduate college on both sides, kind of going back. I'm not the smartest person in my family. I have some very, very smart parents and uncles and and, and stuff, but I was just afforded the luxury of being able to go. It wasn't uh, that they didn't want to go, but I was involved kind of from a young age and, and money was just in my family, just openly talked about. It's not the way that is in, in every family. But she was saying that the way she grew up and she passed down to me from her dad to her, her to me, was that she paid us for our grades. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I remember that. Because that's not, that that wasn't normal. Like most people don't do that. But I wanted to make it twofold. One was Mm -hmm. I wanted to make it fun for you to go to school. Because you knew that if you went to school and you did well, you got rewarded. 
And that was yeah. your job, right? Yeah. All kids have to go to school, but I viewed it as you get good grades, that's your job. And if you do your job well, you should get rewarded. And if you suck at your job, you owe me money. And yeah. you understood that, you, you know, she goes, I, I gave you allowance. Looking back at that, I, I don't want to actually give my kids an allowance. I want them to mm-hmm. earn it. But she goes, I gave you a little allowance and it got bigger as you got older. But really, we increased the the reward for grades. I was like, yeah, I remember I got a good amount of money for the age that I was and obviously it scaled kind of growing up. So I thought that was an interesting way of of bringing it. My mom gave me a little more perspective. And I was like, yeah, I think we're, we are going to do money for grades and it was one of those, like, if I got C's, I owed him money and D's or F's, I probably wouldn't even live in the house anymore. But it was one of those, <laughs> it, like... It worked. Yeah. It, I mean, if it definitely, definitely worked. you're looking to change your family tree with regard to education, and obviously it worked. I mean, you said that you were one of the first to, to graduate and mm-hmm. kudos to mom. Yeah. So it definitely worked. I thought it was it was interesting. And when I wanted to ask you, I wanted to make sure I had at least something to, to come back with on, <laughs> on that. And I was like, you know, who would know better than my mom? Right? That's what, right. How did, she, That's how did right. she do it? So curious though, it brought this up and then it, it, this is kind of where my next question kind of comes from. It's like, what was the first thing you were introduced or some early memories around money that you think are beneficial? I've adopted a little bit of what your mom said. Dan. You know, we, we had chores as well, but we were provided an allowance. It wasn't sort of a, you do this and you get paid for this. It was, Hey, you're going to get your allowance once a week, but here are the things that you're required to do as a, as just a member of the household based on our age. And it's sort of the same thing, I guess, what what I'm doing for, for Zoe right now. But from the beginning, my mom has always been a, uh, has been a saver at heart. And mm-hmm. one of my earliest memories of her helping me to learn the importance of saving is, um, she took me to the bank and I think I got a bank account. I couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old. And I remember getting one of those passbook savings accounts where you had the little book and you'd be right into it in your balance. And, I remember just kind of being hooked at a young age that, hey, if I do work, I'm going to get money for it. And if I save my money, I can get big, really cool things like bikes and all the stuff that I want. So I kind of became like a little saving junkie when I was a little kid. And then at the same time, my dad has always been very, very good at earning money. He's built his career in the automotive business here in Metro Detroit. Mm. And he had such a great reputation for being a really hard worker. And I tried to emulate that. Even at a young age, I remember getting an opportunity to be a part of our peewee football. And there was like this candy sale. They said, okay, whoever sells the most candy gets the big red orange bike. And I saw that red orange bike and I'm like, I'm going to get that. So I went door to door in my neighborhood and I couldn't have been more than, you know, 11 or 12 years old. And I think I ended up selling about $1,500 worth of candy for this company, Morley, Morley Candy. I don't even know if they're still around, but I remember I sold, not only did I sell the most, but the, the, I think it was like the marketing director from Morley Candy came to meet me. And just wanted to learn more about how I did it. And I, I shook his hand. I don't even remember what I said to the guy, but I remember it being such a cool experience that that happened. And then the next couple of years that I was in the football program, they had the same contest and the same prize. And they said, hey, if you win, you get the bike. So for the next three years, I ended up winning it again, but I already had the bike. So they just started cutting me checks for $300, $400 every time I finished. What? <laughs> Son? You've sold more candy than we have in a whole year. How did you do it? 
<laughs> so I was just motivated by, I would say, by my mom from the saving side and my dad from the earning side. And it, uh, it stuck with me. It's been fun. I love it. I, I was thinking back as you were kind of saying this. I think the first, when you were talking about that, what was it? Cash Crunch game? Cash Jun- Crunch Junior. Yeah. Junior. Okay. And I'll make sure I, I, I want to check it out and I'll make sure I yeah. have in the show notes. When you were talking about that, I remembered just all these memories came up around um, hanging out with my grandpa and playing Monopoly. That was our jam. I couldn't wait to go over and visit my grandparents because I knew the whole afternoon was my brother and I playing Monopoly with my grandpa. And, you know, we started obviously when we were younger and, you know, you play the game kind of normally. And then all of a sudden you had this banker and my my grandpa was explaining how interest works and we kind of changed the rules. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, and we're 18 and my brother's 16, and we have something that barely resembles Monopoly, but we were still playing Monopoly because he had, <laughs> he had gone in with all sorts of cool stuff. And it just, it was such a great way and a fun way to learn. So, yeah. so I love the games. I love FinTech is coming out with lots of ways that will allow us to not only keep track of some of the stuff and to teach our kids these things, but to help us with communication and all that. I think it's, I think it's awesome. So as we wrap out here, I do a segment called curbside consult. And today's question a new attending asked, student loans take up a good portion of my fixed expenses and makes budgeting really depressing. I actually totally get that. <laughs> I, know, I know we should be budgeting, but it's tough. And it's tough to get excited about any of this. So do you have any help in how I can make this a bit more fun? Yeah. Well, completely feel you on the student loans. If you are a new attending, I'm sure they were probably a lot more than what I was sitting with after I was paying down my student loans. I had about, um, when Nicole and I sat down to try to pay it off, I had about 30,000 in student loans from my MBA program. And she had about 20,000 in a, a car loan. And what got us motivated by it? Yeah. Budgeting. It's not sexy. I mean, I'm, I'm joking around a little bit with when I put the party on it, but it's obviously the the reason to do it is to make improvements, to make goals for yourself, to, you know, to set yourself um, up for some clarity with your money. The major important thing when you do budgeting is you lay it out and you physically see the money that you have coming in and the money you have coming out. That's the whole, that's the major point. Budgeting aside, just take a look at what you've got coming in and what you got going out and make the, make the adjustments as you need. But what, ways to make it more fun that helped Nicole and I when we were trying to get rid of our $50,000 of debt, we had a big whiteboard in our guest room in our first house. And we just wrote a gigantic number of what our debt was. And each month we were able to cross that bad boy out, write out the new number And it physically made us feel so much better to see that number go down. Some people need like a visual representation of their hard work and that really helps them. So that's one thing. Another thing that we did, and this helped us since we at least had a couple of different debts, is that we made time to celebrate the big milestones when we achieved them. Mm. So when we paid off my student loans, we popped some champagne we celebrated together when we paid off her car. We went for a nice drive in her paid off car and just really enjoyed it. You got to take those times to celebrate it, take pictures, share it with friends and family that would appreciate the news and just make yourself feel good. Or even call up Ryan and tell him your big news so he can celebrate you on his show. Things like that make you feel good, like you're a part of a community, like you're doing something great. And make sure you take some time to celebrate. If you've got like a big amount of student loans, though, you're probably thinking, okay, what are my milestones in there, right? 
celebrate when you get it under six figures, man. If you if you have a hundred thousand or more, make sure you celebrate when that ninety nine is showing up in your in your student loan account. Celebrate yourself. You're doing something incredible that not a lot of people have figured out or are doing. So take the time to celebrate yourself and really enjoy it. And and we already talked about uh, fintech and automation take advantage of the tools that make this thing easy for you because it doesn't have to be tough. It doesn't have to be cumbersome. It can be fun and it can be a party, my friends. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it so much. So one, yes, please shoot me an email, ryan at financialresidency.com. Let me know. Better yet, join the Facebook group, financialresidency.com slash community. Join our group. Let us know your big wins. I always look at them like, you know, it, the, yeah, if you're getting your debt down below six figures, great one. Obviously, student debt, eliminated even better. Um, I know Andy was saying his his debt loads and everything. Don't be alarmed. Those are non-physician ones. My average client's at 283,000. So yeah. if you're listening and you have much bigger numbers, relax. It's okay. We're, we'll all work through it together. Another big one, Andy, for the community here is when net worth hits above zero and goes positive. Yes. That is a huge I, one. I, we did the same thing. We were negative $50,000 when we started our, our tracking journey uh, seven years ago. And when we got over that milestone of positive, we partied, man. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. It's a great, yeah. it's a great S- celebration. Super, <laughs> super fun. So for anyone who doesn't know about your top 50 business investing podcast, Andy, please tell them where they can find out guys. They have, he has an awesome show. So please tell them uh, where they can hear more about you, where they can learn more about marriage, kids, and money. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate this. And, and the conversations on my show is similar to the one you've heard today. It's a lot of conversations with young families trying to figure out how to do the best thing for their marriage, how to do the best thing for their kids, and to try to, uh, try to create some legacy wealth for their family. So my show, you can be found at marriagekidsandmoney.com. The podcast is called Marriage, Kids, and Money and can be found on any major podcast player. One thing that I am happy to provide to, to your listeners, I've developed a guidebook called The Young Family Wealth Playbook, and that is on my site for free for your listeners if they want to check it out. If they just go to marriagekidsandmoney.com, it's got the seven steps that I've learned from millionaire entrepreneurs, financially independent rock stars, and debt-free folks that uh, have really created some great wealth for themselves that I've interviewed on my podcast. So if you want to check that out, again, marriagekidsandmoney.com. I love it. I got to go actually check that out. But I'm sure based on everything that you do between the blogs, the podcast, and Facebook Lives, and all the amazing content you've already produced, I cannot imagine that that would not disappoint. So definitely going to check it out. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really, really appreciate and uh, honored you're here. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. So today's journal club, we're going to be going over a post over at dadsmakingsense.com titled The Real Estate Deal Napkin. If any of you have listened to for long enough, you're going to know that I'm a huge fan of simplicity. We've discussed real estate quite a bit on the podcast, so I want to highlight an excellent article on how to quickly review a real estate deal for those that are interested in investing in single family homes or SFRs. So basically, they took a $200,000 two-bed, two-bath condo. I'm not a fan first of buying condos for a ton of different reasons, but their example, they're analyzing a condo. And at first, they look at the 1% rule, which is you're going to want the property to rent out for at least 1% of the total purchase price. So in the scenario of a $200,000 condo, this would be $2,000 rent a month. Then they detailed some of the expenses. And 
I just assumed that they were going to use a 50% expense, but they didn't. They actually used and put some thought into this and, and gave you a little bit more detail, which really made this a great article. Uh, they brought in items like property tax, insurance, HOA, and they did the right thing. They even estimated repairs and vacancy. And that right there is critical to your underwriting criteria of an investment property. You need to include those. Then they go down to the mortgage and they put 20% down in this example. So 80% LTV or loan to value. They used a 30 year fixed at four and a half percent, which in today's markets may be a little bit low for investment property, but still it's a great range to use. And in this example, they had a positive net cash flow of $289 a month. And I love this, so I'm going to quote them here. While cash flow positive always sounds great, there are plenty of deals out there that are cash flow positive but are bad investments. The goal of every investment is to make the same or more money relative to alternatives, stocks, bonds, CDs, whatever it might be. While there are benefits to investing in real estate that can be outside the percentage return, it's always important to know your numbers to know that where your money is parked is in the best place. Cap rate and cash on cash return are the two biggest numbers for real estate investments. I think that was really well said. I commonly see physicians investing that they basically just stop at the, the cash flow. Oh, it's positive cash flow, we're good. And they don't go a little bit further trying to figure out cash on cash return and cap rates. And this simple back of the napkin, hey, wait, that's probably how they got the title. So the simple back of the napkin way to, to evaluate uh, potential real estate. Uh, this was an excellent job. It's, it's not an exhaustive list. You're going to still need to do a lot more research than this, but it's really a, a great start. My wife and I have purchased a lot of single family residences and we're now kind of venturing into multifamily. And I, I, I can say a few things on real estate here. Please do your research before investing in any real estate investment. There's a ton of great benefits to owning real estate, but if you don't really know what you're doing, you could be left holding a bad investment for quite some time. Aside from information presented in the podcast or on financialresidency.com, I've actually added in a few free guides if you want to go download those. Um, one's understanding the process of buying a home. Uh, the other is the ultimate guide on multifamily investing. But I really encourage you to continue to do a lot of research before making your first investment in real estate. Tons of great resources out there like biggerpockets.com, probably the biggest out there. They also have a book called The Book on Rental Property Investing, I believe is the title. Excellent book. So Dad's Making Sense had a great article, really well done. I'll make sure I highlight this and link in the show notes, as well as a couple of the other resources I just said to check out if you are looking to invest in real estate. That was a great episode with Andy, wasn't it? We talked about all the things within our control to achieve financial freedom. You know, the one we all daydream about. For a quick recap, here's the 411. We brought up why communicating with our spouses about money, while really it's not that sexy, it's one of the most important dynamics to cultivate within the home. We also talked about why teaching our kids the concept of money early on pays off rather nicely. So they're not up your, well, you know where for money. We did a quick review of some of the best tools for automating monthly expenses to achieve our financial goals and all around stay focused on what's most important, family. After this episode, you should have put your mind where your money is and developed a sense of assurance that you'll be just fine financially. 
if you can commit to creating a money conscious lifestyle. Andy was truly fun to have on the show, and I know he's among the favorites with all of you as well. So thanks for tuning in. The wife loves me, but sometimes this money geek drives her up the wall. Haha, <laughs> he knows he does. Keep yourself together and know this is an educational podcast created for you to pick and choose what works best for your financial situation. Yeah, there's no way he could know your financial needs. Yeah, what she said. So consult an attorney, CPA, or heck me, a fee-only financial planner to help you get on your feet the right way. Next week, we're going to have a great show planned with our special guest, Peter Kim of Curbside Real Estate and the blogger behind the killer site, PassiveIncomeMD.com. This will be another show that you don't want to miss. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.